Today's guest on our podcast from Paint to Purpose is Michelle Falcone. Uh, Michelle is a serial entrepreneur and best-selling author who went from earning $15 an hour working in a call center to advising billion-dollar brands and then built a $15 million hospitality company in Toronto in two years. He believes that businesses that will stand the test of time are focused on company culture, customer experience, employee engagement, and career growth and fulfillment. He has contributed to Time Magazine, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, Yahoo Small Business Advisors, Yahoo Finance, BC Business, Business Talk Radio, Business to Community, and One-to-One Media. He's now building Braza Peruvian Kitchen, a fast, casual restaurant brand that pays homage to his Peruvian heritage. He believes this brand has the opportunity to become a globally recognized brand that he's building with the same people-first philosophies he's used in his career. Welcome, everybody, to this latest episode of From Paint to Purpose. Michelle, thank you for being on uh, our podcast this morning. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. So I know that you have uh, you have built your career around helping organizations understand their culture, building that world class culture. I'd like to to focus uh, our conversation this morning on that topic because I think it's so important, particularly uh, coming out of the pandemic. I think we learned a lot as organizations about what employees are looking for, and unfortunately for those companies that didn't uh, either prepare for or work towards a, a world-class culture, whatever that might mean for them, we're seeing a lot of that in the resignations and, and people just going out on their own. So I guess tell me a little bit about where this whole concept for you really originated and where why it became such a passion for you. Where it originated was probably the last place you would look. Uh, in uh, 2007, I... Uh, postponed my university degree, my business degree. And I say postponed because that's how I spun it to my parents um, to work for a, a company called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Um, they were the company to work for in Vancouver at the time. And I attribute uh, kind of the like founders of company culture in Canada, at least. They were talking about company culture even before I joined, years before I joined. Uh, but essentially what one handy got junk does is if you have an office or a home and you just want to get rid of stuff, a couch, whatever, a fridge, uh, call this company. And it's like a FedEx like service. People show up, you pay them, they get rid of it. So, um, when I joined the company, their slogan, and I believe it still is a slogan today, uh, is it's all about people. Um, and when I joined them in 2007, it was the second year in a row that they won best workplace in Canada. Now this is a medium sized junk removal company doing very progressive things to the workplace culture and, um, a profitable company. So it's, it's worth noting that and highlighting that company culture is a growth strategy. And I'll share some stories that I have going on with my restaurant brand that I'm growing right now and how we're able to uh, achieve 18% net margin in an industry that would love 10% and being fast <laughs> casual restaurants. Uh, but it, it originally there, a garbage company, if you will. And since then, I never looked back. There was, there was, um, there was enough case studies. So I had a front row seat to this. I, this was my real world MBA where I got to learn how company culture is the nucleus of every great company we do business with today as consumers. The outcome of that is 
individuals that bring their whole selves to work, they're high performers, uh, they don't turn over as much. How many times have you hired somebody, they didn't show up to their first day or they turned over after a week, right? That's expensive. A lot of companies don't equate what turnover means to their bottom line. I think they, one, it's a simple calculation. Two, I think they're scared to know what that costs. Uh, it, it's a it's a number that will stop you in your tracks, but I implore everybody, find out what that number is because it will be paradigm shifting for you in how you behave, how you invest. Uh, but having a great customer experience. I serve everyday food with real Peruvian flavors in my newest restaurant brand, Brasa Peruvian Kitchen. Um, it's individuals that make our food every day. It's individuals who greet customers and, and, and our guests and have them wanting to come back. Uh, it's, it's human beings who earn us the reviews. The ultimate review in our world is uh, the 2P review. When a guest mentions product and people. So their food is so flavorful and their team members are always so friendly. For me, that's everything. The outcome, the output of these efforts of company culture, which is the nucleus, is an 18% net margin, which I believe we can get to 20 or even above. Um, that's where I learned it. A junk removal company started off in the call center. I worked there for five years, got promoted five times in five years because I was one of the individuals who bought into the culture for a good reason. And I gave myself to the company. I worked really hard. I got noticed. I made more money along the way. So, uh, and the company is profitable. Like how many boxes do you need to check to say this is the way to grow businesses? What was it? What was it about the culture that when you joined, you got all in? Like what? What was it? What were those things? Because I think that a lot of times we talk about this in in organizations, and and with leadership, especially around building a culture. And yet we don't always ask the question of the people who are fully bought in. Why? Right. At the time, it was just so eye opening to me, very inspirational, very entrepreneurial culture because it was uh, CEO of the company was the founder as well. I had always aspired to be an entrepreneur myself. And like I mentioned, it was my real world MBA. I found an opportunity to earn and learn. So think of, I was a disengaged business school student paying to not absorb a lot of education. It's like, what if I flipped the script and got paid to learn? Um, and of course, you know, contribute to the success of the company. And, uh, you know, my parents are, I'll reference my parents again. They're a very humble South American people and a degree is, you know, very safe. And to suggest that I was going to, Job out of business school to uh, work for a junk company in the call center it was uh, mind bending for them. But for me, it was it was something where I could contribute, but they could also contribute to my success as well. Um, it's worth noting that there's no right or wrong company cultures. I, 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 pardon me. Assuming you are doing right by people, assuming there isn't you know bad things happening in the culture that are unethical. And I'll share, you know, look at, you know, Zappos.com, uh, popularized uh, company culture um, in 2008-ish era. Uh, one of their values is be weird, right? It's, it's, it's a different culture, not for everybody. It doesn't make them right or wrong. Um, you look at Netflix culture or 
Apple's culture, high performance. You got to bring it every day. You got to be one of the smartest people in your friend group. But then there's a lot of other things that make up the culture also that are very attractive. Um, you know, there's a lot of individuals that there's a lot of media headlines that says Amazon's not a good workplace. I can't speak to that because I've never worked. Often, you know, I don't speak to things that I don't have firsthand knowledge on. I've gathered that there's a lot of people that like working at Netflix also. Um, so the message is the company culture, the company culture is whatever you want it to be. Uh, it took me, and I'm, I'm not um, exaggerating. This is not an extension of the truth, but it took me 11 months to finalize what our mission, our vision, and our core values would be for Brass Approving Kitchen. 11 months. My you know, brainstorming, writing down, putting away what I wrote, revisiting, does it still matter to me? Um, you know, how I would summarize our culture? Friendly high performers. Everybody, I, I've worked too hard to work with rude people. And, and back to Netflix, they have a saying, um, that I wish uh, I had come up with, it's that good. Um, they said, uh, they say, we will not tolerate brilliant works because the cost of teamwork is too high. How many times have you, have, as one individual, been protected by leadership because they're a great salesperson, but everybody despises working with Johnny and Johnny ruins the uh, dynamic of the team. You have to be courageous enough to rip Johnny out of your culture. Even better yet, stop them at the door, right? How I see Brassa and what I'm building is we're building each retail store is like a little uh, a table at a wedding. You're not just going to invite anybody to your wedding. And when you have those restrictions and that integrity to who you invite into your company, watch how your peers and your team members also safeguard it. And often you're... Um, we're always trying to figure out how do we get our team members to care like their owners. They're not going to care like their owners. You have to make them feel like it's their house. Everybody's protective over their house and the possessions within the house. So sh shift, you know, have a paradigm shift for yourself. And instead of trying to convince people to act like owners, ask them to, ask them to protect the house. That's a great point because I do, when I talk to leaders, uh, there is this idea, especially from entrepreneurs and, and founders of organizations, they genuinely want their employees to all care as much as they do. And I've, I've had this argument with many of the owners uh, that I've worked with of that same vein that you just talked about. You're never going to get them to care as much as you do in the way that you do because they're not owners. And there's a different mindset around that. I've been an owner of a company, so I know. Like there's a different shift. It doesn't mean that I don't care about the business that I may work in that I don't own, but it's a different level because you're just not going to replicate that. So I love the the analogy of uh, of having people protect the house and care about it in that mindset because we can all uh, we can all relate to that in some form or fashion. So I think that's a it's a it's a great point. But I I also so it leads me to this other question of. So what do leaders miss then when they when they are trying to build culture and message that to their organization? What are leaders missing today? Two key things. Uh, not enough emphasis in recruiting and interviewing. Uh, when you recruit, what's your best, what's your asset? Do you have a job description? Uh, 
you wouldn't believe me if I told you how much time and effort and money uh, put toward the job description. Uh, money means a copywriter to make the words dance off the page while also repelling people from even applying. Uh, you, you, it has to be polarizing where it's going to make people very excited. I have to work here. But then also on the flip side of that, and there's no gray area. It's very black and white. I don't want to work here. Not for me. I want to check in and you know, I don't think people think this way, but uh, for individuals that just want to check in and check out and just have a passive uh, you know, job, you won't, you won't even get through the interview process. But if you do somehow, you're going to be a, exposed really quickly and we're going to remove you. Um, but it's a recruiting part, making sure that you can paint a picture of what it is like. Actuality, sometimes there might be a misrepresentation of somebody shows up and is like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. So, you know, be realistic, be self-aware of your current performance. But then the interview process, um, for me, we were just hiring team members. So these are you know everyday people that work in our stores and we pay them more than the market does. Um, and we had 200 uh, people apply in 72 hours. Recruiting, top of funnel recruiting is not an issue for me um, because we have a lot to offer. We hired six people. Uh, so, and, and I'll, I, I would be, if I didn't start to get frustrated, because it is requires effort. And I would be lying to you if I come close to saying, good enough, make you an offer. Uh, but I can, general managers and, and our, my director of operations, I said, I need somebody to tell me to stay focused because there's kind of just attrition happening right now and, and within myself and that very time consuming. And they said, you know, one of my general managers said, just know that I really appreciate you. I was like, that's all I needed to hear. Back to work I go. Um, so it's that. Recruiting and interviewing, right? Think of it like dating. You're not just going to hire anybody on the street, right? You want to have common personalities, maybe. You where you like hiking. You want to be with somebody that likes hiking. You like cooking, whatever, whatever that might be, whatever that might look like. Um, spend a lot of time drawing comparisons in my professional life as I do in my personal life with my fiance Sophia. Like this year, have the same foundation. We have, and that's why we work. Um, if we can remove that we have between how we operate in our professional lives that's when it's going to start making more sense and become effective. Well, I think you mentioned this earlier in, in the conversation around bringing our whole selves to the, to the workforce. And, and I, I think sometimes we always make this, this comparison that people leave the, leave their junk, if you will, at the front door when they walk into a business. And, and I've always argued that that never is the case. Some people, uh, probably can manage it a little bit better, but most of us, uh, if if something's going on in our personal life, we're going to bring it to our professional life. And I think it, part of a culture, a, a healthy culture especially, is one in which we acknowledge that, 
we, we provide the ability to care about our people beyond just what they can do for us in the business. And that starts to break down this, especially from a leadership perspective, there's a vulnerability with that that comes with, hey, we're not we're all kind of broken in some form or fashion and we're all kind of trying to figure stuff out on a daily basis. So let's bring our whole selves to the organization. And that's why I think culture matters and how you uh, who and uh, who you hire becomes important, because if you're one that doesn't actually care about the people uh, and you want them to just get on with life and not worry about all the things that happen, uh, that's going to be a, a, a difficulty. Uh, and, and so I love the fact, too, that you talked about um, the interview process, because, you know, there I don't know how many countless managers and I would fall into this trap sometimes is you're just trying to hire because you got to get things done and you, you're, there's a backlog and you got to hire people. And that's when you start to, to justify why, even though your gut tells you that that person doesn't fit your culture, that you're going to hire them anyway, or they've got just this tremendous amount of skills or they bring whatever to the table uh, and you overlook uh, some of these, these components. One of the things that I, when I train uh, organizations on, on a values-based uh, model I always remind the leaders at some point, whether it's with a customer or with an employee, you're going to have to make a very difficult decision uh, and your core values are going to come to the forefront. Either you're going to stand by them or they're going to crumble, even if you don't intend them to. Uh, and invariably, there hasn't been a client that I've worked with or, a or, or an organization that I've been a part of that that hasn't happened. So any stories from your perspective on seeing that play out in uh, uh, in, in organizations that you've uh, been a part of or worked with? Well, perhaps members of this, but leave your personal problems at the door is practical. Uh, because you don't put on, or at least you don't hire people who put on their personal hat and then they come to work. Uh, you got to be the same person. And, um, one of our values as a company is continuous care. Honest and direct conversations with each other, we communicate. And it's not my responsibility to connect the dots in why an individual on their team isn't performing. Now, our individual responsibility is to, within a level of comfort, whatever you feel comfortable with, share with your team members. I. If you don't got it one day, it's like, I've got a lot going on in my personal life. Take the day off, right? Just, you know, make sure we got coverage, but take the day off. Or, and I've seen this happen in our company. Tell your team members at the beginning of the day, say, hey, I'm just letting you know, I'm not myself today. You don't, again, you don't have to elaborate on why. I'm just not myself today. So if you recognize that, just... Yeah, heads up now. I'm sure I'll snap out of it in a day or no challenge with something. I like that. That's how I practice in the workplace. Um, there's that level of So, no, different high performers. We have a job to the other day, right? And, and we do want to bring along everybody with us who fit our goal. But, you know, eventually you're going to you know, see from us as, as teammates and team members, um, because we have 
And we're having a conversation with our, one of our general managers about this, is that we need to ensure that we are living within our culture, but also performing at the same time, having empathy for, uh, for each other. Um, so hard. Company culture, everybody would do it exceptionally. It's not like turning on a light switch. It's strategic. It requires an investment. Um, a lot of traditional marketing, um, but we're never profitable. And I equate that, you know, the foundation we've built. And Howard Schultz famously said this, um, and there's sounds similar to this. If you're going to build a hundred-story skyscraper, you've got to build the foundation first. You know, if you're going to build a home. As much as you want to design the pool, got to make make sure that the foundation's solid. And um, I'm happy I learned these uh, lessons earlier in my career because I think I'm going to look back uh, ten years from now and say, dropping out of business school to learn company culture firsthand was a life changing decision for my career. Well, I, so I, I think one of the things that you just touched on there that that I think is an area that I've uh, I've run into when I've worked with organizations to build a culture around whatever their core values are. First, identifying them, and then embedding them into every practice of the of their uh, organization is, is that there's this perception sometimes that when you have a people-centric or a values-based organization that it, it's soft and and sort of squishy and and i and i've i always joke and say it's the hardest part of building a, a corporate culture is because you are are you're holding people to a standard that is uh sometimes beyond reach uh it's aspirational in many ways even though there's standards to to it uh, and so when they start to actually get into it and they start building it and they start hiring or firing or promoting based on these things, they start to realize, and I've had more leaders come back to me and say, yeah, I didn't think this was going to be as tough as it is. And I always remind them, I told you on the front end, it's going to be because I've been through it. I've done it with my own business. It's the hardest part, the strategy piece of building a, the, the business model and, and finding clients and doing those things. They're all difficult. Don't get me wrong. But the, the hardest part was actually building the foundation of what you actually believed in and why and then helping people to understand it. Um, so how does a company then uh, build a, a culture that that lasts? You know, the, the taking from J Jim Collins, the, the good to great model and, and that that understanding of what that looks like. Uh, what are some things that, that uh, company leaders can understand about how they build that culture that lasts? Well, it's performance. Like that, like, why do sports teams win back-to-back -back championships if the Tampa Bay Tiffer? Um, it's not letting you risk set it, um, but it's performance. Uh, I'm happy you mentioned this because a company culture does have that moniker. It's squishy, as you say. Um, and I'll say, um, I saw some people who were nice and they're like a culture fit. Being a culture fit, you know, a high performer at my company. And 
our mission is, and, and I've rephrased the word mission because you, know, you kind of get that eye roll sometimes from people. Again, yeah. Forbes, Forbes magazine told us every company needs a mission. Why we work. So it's like a why we work statement. It has nothing to do with food or the country of Peru. Uh, and I can recite a few verbatim, word for word, to build a company that the world needs more of, one where everyday people are empowered to make great money, achieve career growth, and help close the income inequality gap. Uh, I'm concerned with what's happening to the middle class, but that could be a different podcast for a different time. Um, I want to celebrate everyday people. Served you your warm coffee today? Those are the people, the people that I want to rally behind. There's that. I like the person that's serving coffee this morning. I want them to get the fair shake and I want to play my part in it. However, we pay our starting income is $19 per hour. Not 50%, 100% vintage for full part time team members. We're exploring unlimited paid sick vacation. Explore, not. Uh, we're looking at it from a numbers perspective. Uh, learning development opportunities. We've had team members get promoted from team member to GM and earn a $60,000 salary within six months. Here's why I share that with you. Not to be revered. So like I have to stand on when team members aren't performing. In other words, say, good luck finding somewhere else that's going to do all of this for you. Um, and we cut ties quick, right? We're really, so when you're in, you're like in and you're supposed to be here, but there are times where people have been underperformers and we've gotten rid of them because quite frankly, I, I do have a bit investor and show and I have that pressure too. I'll be replaced as CEO, um, if I don't perform. So we believe in something that I also learned from Netflix and, and I really like Netflix's culture from what I know. And it's called talent density. Pay more, have because these people are so uh, such high performers that you need less. In one of our stores, we're in an office tower. You could see our store and the volume that we have and the neighboring store and the volume that they have. You'll notice that we have less people. And that's a profit-driven strategy. Our labor cost is less than more. Give benefit and all these things. Um, so it's it, it, it the squish. Get it? I totally get it. Um, not for us though. Uh, I'm trying to build 100 stores by 2027. I'm not going to do that with all performers. But I make sure that the party has all the bells and whistles you could ever imagine. Um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm building a company by using company culture to create something that I always dreamed of building and working for. Like my time at one hand, got junk. I marveled at the place. Now it's my turn to build something like this. Um, and I'm excited. It's fun work. Like I go to bed at night, like feeling good about myself. And this isn't a platitude. This isn't media friendly. This is the truth. I get a P and L every week. And I expect to see a profit and I celebrate 
for seven seconds. Back to work <laughs> I go. But what I'll tell you what motivates me the most, what makes me feel things, is when we approve budgets and prom- or, uh, uh, promotions and pay increases. That makes me feel like a good corporate citizen because we're living our truth. We're living our mission. Imagine going out there and saying, we want to help close the income inequality gap and paying minimum wage. It's absurd. Um, it's just a complete fraud. I might as well walk with the words fraud on my forehead. But I don't know, this, I have a certain DNA to do this though, right? I grew up a, I don't like saying this because it's offensive to my parents, but let me just say we grew up. My parents raised up the kindest people you'll ever meet in your life. Good, salted man. Struggle. I saw my dad cry when I was in the tenth grade because he had to file for bankruptcy because somebody took capitalism a little too far. Really screwed over a kind man. Still alive today is our biggest critic, but also our biggest. Uh, cheerleader being very proven um but that's what drives me like that's in my dna i'm still a poor six-year-old boy with scar tissue to show um and it makes me feel good i'm gonna get me wrong i'm gonna build this thing and shareholders are gonna love me but that's an output that's an outcome it comes after right go take care of your people and you do it through company culture yeah, I, I love that. I love the fact that your mission, nobody would know what you do based on the mission or purpose statement and the why, right? So we did that. We've done the same thing in our organization. And I often get that question. Well, why don't you put in there what you do? Because it's, it's not a matter what we do changes because we are a service industry and what vertical markets we go after and what type of offerings we, we provide that strategy is going to change all the time. But our core purpose of being a great company with great people with unlimited opportunities. That's what we live out every day. So everything that we do is surrounding that. And so in order to be a great company, we got to take care of our people, which means we take care of our people and they'll take care of the business. Uh, To be a great company uh, with great people means we have to give them opportunities, you know, and, and, and we love to tell those stories. You, you mentioned this and I, and I lit up because it's, it's true. I love when the, the raises and promotions come across my desk and I get to, to hear the stories of why, you know, I'm not in it every day, uh, as the president of, of the company, uh, but I trust my managers and our, we spend an enormous amount of time and energy developing people management skills before they ever become people managers, because it, it, it is such a fundamental role in our organization, but it is that mission of why are we, why do we exist and why do people want to be a part of this? And what we hear over and over again from at least our team members is it's something it, they can latch on to something greater than themselves. And so we point towards something beyond what they want, even though they're going to get what they want if they are all in. Uh, and, and, and just to hear the stories of people going back to either their home countries, because we have a lot of folks that are from other countries that, that come here and work, uh, and the mon- amount of money they can make here and they can go live and their families and villages can go live for, uh, and, and build themselves up, uh, in these, in these other places for two or three months of the year, they can work nine months for us, go home, and they are able to provide for their families and themselves in, in amazing ways. So we also pride ourselves on creating other entrepreneurs. We love it when people leave our organization and start their own business. Uh, it is a, it's a hallmark of who we are. Um, and so, I, I, but it is, it, we always, we, we say this, we are fierce, uh, 
Um, we, we are fierce in our loyalty to our company culture. So if you don't fit, we will make sure that you know that, uh, but we'll support you on trying to uh, course correct, but we'll recognize that if you can't, we are going to, to move on. And again, it doesn't mean we don't love you. It means you're just not a right fit for us anymore. And, uh, and we, we have to be okay with that, which is not always easy, but that's where I say it's, I've never found a, a company culture that's driven by the culture to be anything other than hard work because it's easy to not have a, a to not be intentional, I should say. Uh, about your culture, because I, I believe every company has a culture. It's whether you acknowledge it or not that that actually is the difference between uh, those companies, like the one that you're building and describing, and uh, one that is is very di very different than ours. So, um, so tell me a little bit about this idea of how you are able to equate the employer brand, the culture, and how that that is manifested in your. Uh, in, in the growth strategy of the business and, and how that translates to business. Because you're going to have a lot of leaders listening to this podcast who will say, oh, that's all great and good, but we do have to make money and, and I only know this way to do it. And, and how, do we, uh, how do you share that with, with people so that they can see and feel and know what that's going to look like uh, if they go down this path? I started a restaurant brand. We're going to open five corporate stores in 15 months during the pandemic. And we're still producing 18% net profit. So there's a case study in itself that it pays to have a company culture. A lot of people don't have an equated number to what that means. Like, what is the value of that culture? There are some things that are measurable, like employee turnover, how much it costs to replace a team member, uh, what is the customer lifetime value of customers. Those, are, those things are measurable. But then there are also other things that aren't measurable. Uh, such as free PR, because you have a great brand and you take care of people, media loves right, stuff like that. Um, you know, what's the sentiment toward your brand when people see your trucks on the road or uh, your team members in uniform? Uh, but you should see it in your PL. That's what the that's what the PL is there for. And I've always said to people, show me your PL and I'll tell you what you care about most. And often, when you don't see a GL code or general ledger code on the PL that's related to team members, well, you can't tell me that you love company culture unless you invest in it. Um, I once uh, knew of a company that had 300 employees and one person in HR. You don't care about that. Don't care about that. I just look around your office. I can tell you we care about. Um, so you know, I guess put your money where your mouth is. Um, let don't uh, you know, don't put lipstick on a pig. Um, it's you got to action these things, um, and I promise you, you will see return. Um, and I, I'm very confident that if you are a benevolent person, you're going to feel good about yourself. And feeling good will never go out of fashion. Um, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm worried about the middle class. I really am. Um, there's a huge separation right now. Uh, and I want to do my part. Um, I don't think it's right to build a business by stepping and exploiting, stepping on people, exploiting them. Um, 
It's not a business that I ever want. I, I remember my father would tell me, whatever business you start, please don't say it's going to be a casino. <laughs> and I said, you know, why? A casino is going to be fun to a casino. I said, you make money off people's suffering. You're a drug dealer. And I said, it's true. But like, that money could be somebody's child's college tuition. Um, I have to be proud of how I make money. Um, and it's not everybody's uh, mandate. But guess what? I referenced earlier, every culture doesn't have to be the same. I'm going to look at somebody else's culture and say, how dare this? Who am I? They can operate however which way they want. You know, as long as there's not sexual harassment or bigotry going on in their culture, no, that's right. Um, I'm building what makes sense for me. And if you want to join, come and join us. That's exciting. Yeah, I think that last sentiment is important because it is true that there are different people who are going to, to light up for different things. And so I think company culture, if it attract, if you do it right, you're going to attract the people who, who you want to attract. And more importantly, and you talked about this earlier in the podcast, is you repel the people who don't get lit up by those same things. And I think it's it's not a it, for, for me in our culture here, it sounds very similar to what you're doing in, in your business as you're building it is. We talk often about the fact that we're proud of who we are and what we believe in. It's okay if others don't believe what we believe. There's nothing wrong with that. It uh, doesn't mean that they are bad people. It doesn't mean that they don't uh, have a place to fit. It just isn't here. And so we are really intentional about talking about our culture and not others. I say this to my sales team all the time. There's no reason to badmouth our competitors out in the marketplace. Just go and produce what we say we're going to produce. Do what we say we're going to do and let the, the, let the rest of it uh, take care of itself. I think the same thing is when you take care of your employees. You can highlight the things that you're doing and providing for people. You don't need to necessarily even overtly promote it. People are going to do that themselves. Their be the best promotion I found for employer brand is the employees themselves. When <laughs> they go out and tell their family and friends what yeah. they do and who they're with, that's gold. And, uh, and we love that. We love hearing the stories of how our core values have impacted uh, the lives of people. Uh, and usually that has a, ma a massive impact in their home life. Those are the things that are, are exciting. And then we do look at, at we are a for-profit business. We do make money and we need to. Uh, but we also don't apologize for that either because we are able to do what we're able to do and we reinvest in our business uh, because we make money. If we don't make money, we can't reinvest in our business and we can't then help uh, people to have unlimited opportunities. Yeah, I I won't apologize for making profit either. Um, there is this, uh, in Toronto, there's this new cafe open called the uh, Anarchist, and it's an anti-capitalism cafe selling $4.50 coffees. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Um, anyways, um, I, I, I'm happy you mentioned that. I have not been apologized for making a profit because people invested in me to create this business for good. And they deserve to be rewarded as investors who gambled on a small business and entrepreneur who are creating jobs. What is wrong with this? I, I, I'm, I'm concerned with this narrative of capitalism is bad. I believe capitalism is losing its way in some respects, and I would like to see it shift a little bit more to some normalcy. But 
know, normalcy as I define it might be defined differently by the next person. And the great thing about it is that we live in this, uh, you know, I mean Canada, but um, very, you know, we live in these continents that reward or I believe should reward these great workplaces that are creating good paying jobs. Um, and I'm concerned about the narrative that's going the other way. That's it. Because nobody wins. Right. Um, but perhaps that's a different topic. No, I think I don't know if this I, podcast is about I, I would organization <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think I think the way you shift we shift the narrative as companies and, and business owners and leaders is to define what that success looks like for us and model the way. I think we have lost our way and the narrative has now swung to, swung to no business is a good business. They're always out for themselves or they're always out for for the uh, shareholder value. And all. I mean, there there's a narrative that becomes the norm, if you will. And I think as organizations, we have an opportunity to, to prove that differently. You can do good and still make money. You can do good uh, and be a company that believes in capitalism. Uh, you can be, you can, it's, it, I've always said this and I, and I learned this at a young age too. It's not how much money you make as an organization or individually, it's what you do with it. Uh, and, and I think at the end of the day, uh, if you are doing something positive for the, the communities that you live in and, and work in and, and have your customers in, uh, then you should be able to sleep well at night uh, because you are doing what you can. We're not all called to do the same thing. We're also not all called to be the same person. That's the uniqueness of diversity. And I love that about uh, about our company. Uh, I learn so much every day from people who I would not, not normally uh, intersect with. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, I also know how much our organization has meant to people uh, who have struggled with other uh, with, with things that we have been able to support them. We are in an industry where uh, it's not always the, the cool thing to uh, talk about your feelings on a construction site. And yet we do <laughs> every day. And uh, uh, and it and it matters to us uh, and our people matter to us. And we've found that when we take care of our people and it's all, it's a cliche, but when you take care of your people, they've taken care of our customers and everybody wins. And so uh, I also think that the, the narrative out there on, on capitalism is it, it's a it's a zero sum game. And I just don't I've never believed that. Yeah. I believe that it can be a mutual uh, growth. I don't always believe in win-win because I don't think that's real either in many cases. Uh, but it is something that uh, allows for the right things to happen every day. And so as you are building your company, as you grow, I think one of the, the final questions I have for you is as you grow and as you get further maybe away from some of the core of what the business started as an entrepreneur, especially, uh, how do you make sure and maintain that that culture remains the anchor because sometimes when you grow and get bigger and you have all of these complexities that come into your business, it can be, um, it, you have to guard it, uh, your culture sometimes even more than you did when you were a smaller startup, if you will. Um, so what's the, some advice you give to those businesses that are growing uh, and bringing more people into their organization uh, uh, how you how you maintain what you believe is is the important piece for your culture? Yeah, if we're going to grow to you know, a fifty person headcount in the next like, sixty days. Um, so going from zero to sixty um, in fifteen months, and then from there we'll kind of pull to 100, 200, 500, 
months beyond that. Um, so I think about this a lot, um, more than uh, may, you know, very preemptive thought and strategy. Uh, one thing I don't want to do is dilute the integrity of how we hire. And how you do that is by entrusting too many people to hire. Um, so let's say we are to expand into California, Texas, Florida, New York, Illinois. Um, we have to think about how we're going to hire. Most companies in my industry would uh, have the general manager do the recruiting for their respective store. To get, let's say we have 100 general managers, to get 100 people to see the same thing the exact same way, hard, very hard, not impossible, but very, very hard. Uh, so instead, we're going to recruit like a technology company where it's centralized by your recruitment team. So I see us having regional offices in every major market that we're in, and recruiting happens at the head office level. So for example, let's say, uh, John, you are a general manager in Chicagoland, just outside of Chicago, in Schaumburg, Illinois, let's say. You're going to rely on your recruiting partner at the regional office in Illinois to fill the to funnel for you. Then we'll do the interviewing then you'll meet the candidate at the final step. And at that point, it's almost a formality because you know they've been vetted by a group of professional experts who all they do is recruited, interview, and onboard. That is how I'm going to do it. And maybe I come back on the podcast in a few years and tell you if, uh, tell you how it went. Um, but we're starting to see the signs of it working for us locally here in Toronto because we're recruiting for three stores now and five stores. Um, so I'll have some evidence shortly on whether it's working. Uh, a general manager uh, applied for us. I was in an interview with him yesterday and he said, why don't, why wouldn't I do the hiring? And I was frank. I said, you can't hire better than me. This is all, this is like my main skill. Um, I'm going to teach you, but I don't know if I'm ever going to give you full responsibility. Why? Because I want you operating the stores. I want you to, you know, focus on food costs and managing the labor, throwing on. Oh, and by the way, be an excellent talent recruiter. Like it's so hard. It's that. That's why it gets fractured. Why do you go to one national coffee store? Then you go to another one on the other side of the town and then another one in a different state, three different experiences. It's because the recruiting has been diluted at the local level. So centralized. So I don't know if this is entirely going to work, but um, I, 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 it's what makes sense to me. So I'm going to try it. And then, you know, hopefully I come back with phenomenal results and, I'm the town crier telling everybody about how it how it worked. Uh, and um, you know, for those listening, uh, thank you for for your time. I really do appreciate it. It's very flattering that anybody cares to hear anything I have to say. But um, you know, I, I'm Michelle Falcon everywhere. My parents blessed and cursed me with this name, so I'm I'm uh, easy to find online. Um, I share all the progressions of all the strategies that I'm trying. I'm like. Uh, 
science guinea pig class project where I just try these things and you know they make sense in my head. Most work though, thankfully, thankfully, because I'm not uh, you know, I just shoot from the hip when it comes to strategy development. I, I think it through. Well, again, Michelle, I really do appreciate you being on, and uh, it's been a, a great uh, conversation. You, you're speaking my language and what we've done to build our business. Uh, we are, are odd in our industry. My guess is you're a little bit odd in your industry for the way you're doing things. Uh, and, and, I, and I take pride in that because I, I think it is, um, it is somewhat of a social experiment, uh, and, and we will see if, our, uh, if that experiment will work in our, in our company, just like you will. Let's, let's try to get together in a couple of years and see if what we're doing is actually working. Yeah. Because I'd love to be able to to hear the stories and and support you and your growth wherever we can as well. Phenomenal! Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's uh, a luxury that we have. Part of our job is just talking to other professionals about what's working. Yeah, I appreciate so it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember. People drive growth.